as a culture, we're incredibly interested in the private lives of celebrities, politicians and other public figures. Is it just an unhealthy obsession? Would it be better if we simply ignored what goes on behind closed doors as these people's private business? Or are we sometimes justified in reaching into the dark and flicking on the light? This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hi, I'm here with Mark Hadley. He's a journalist and film critic based here in Sydney. How are you, Mark? Great, thanks, Ken, and thanks for having me on the show again. Yeah, it's, oh, it's good to have you back. Uh, look, you're a regular writer in Signs of the Times magazine and um, hopefully now a, a regular guest on, on the radio show and, and podcast. It's, it's certainly good, good to have you here. That'll be great. Now, Mark, you, you wrote an article in, in this month's edition of Signs of the Times at the August uh, edition. It's actually the, the cover story. Well done. Um, you, you made it again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Your choice, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, look, I, I chose it because it's, it's a really good article, really thought-provoking, uh, deals with a lot of current issues in popular culture and in political life as well. Um, so it touches on a, a lot of things that, you know, that people are interested in. And so I thought, yeah, it, it does deserve you know, plum position. Now, this article is titled Public Fame, Private Shame and the Non-Existent Divide. Now, you start off in this article, like one of the first things that you discuss is a movie that's come out um, just this month in, in August called The Wife. Can you give us a bit of a synopsis there of what's, what that movie's about? Sure. The Wife is actually based on a, a best-selling book by Meg Wadzer mm-hmm. uh, by the same title. It tells the story of a couple whose public and private lives are actually worlds apart. So he, you know, the, the husband in this particular uh, situation, is a very famous author, and they're on their way to Helsinki in a plane. The, the drama takes place, you know, mm-hmm. high above the earth in a plane, and he's going to get a Nobel Prize for literature, and she's been the supportive wife the whole way along. In public, that's the picture. Mm. In private, uh, he's crushed her life in order to lift up his own dreams, his own uh, goals. And, uh, and likewise, she has allowed herself to be sort of like, you know, stepped upon in order to achieve this great moment that they're both going to experience now. Mm. And even then, though it's a Nobel Prize, you couldn't think much higher than that for an award, um, she realizes she's gained nothing from the entire thing. She's, she, by the way, Joan Carlson is played by Glenn Close. Oh, and it's yeah. a great performance, but the, but the tricky thing that really comes out of it is just a wonderful picture of how what's going on in a marriage could bear absolutely no resemblance whatsoever to what's going on publicly you know, in, in life for that couple. Mm, yeah, it's, it's really interesting the, the way that the media is really interested in the, the marital ups and downs of uh, Donald and, and Melania Trump. Um, you know, are, are they holding hands? Aren't they holding hands? You know, does, does she look happy or unhappy? It, it seems that people... Is she telling to get the children out of, you know, the detention or not? Yeah. You know, um, how to say, and it's true. Uh, and that's part of the tension. I mean, the media likes to, to look into that, but at the same time, the tension sits on the fact that we, we seem to accept uh, as, a, as, an, as a excuse, or if you like, uh, as a defense, that it's absolutely 
all right for a politician to step back and say, hang on a second, you've got no life, you no right to look into my private life. Mm. Uh, and that, why is that? Well, the, the common defense is what is going on in my private life has nothing to do with my public life. Mm. Uh, and mm. I get article, what I do is I question that. Is that really possible for someone to actually have such a hard wall between private and public? Mm. Although I, I guess you'd have to say, Mark, wouldn't you, that there are, there are so many people out there in the public eye who are hounded and harassed you know, by the paparazzi, uh, by journalists, by you know, tabloid um, newspapers and, and magazines. And they just wear them down. I mean, obviously, you know, Princess Diana, you know, the Princess of Wales, is the, the ultimate example of someone who, who died, you know, trying to escape the paparazzi, apparently. Surely that there should be a, an idea of the right to privacy and the right not to have, you know, people poking cameras over the fences of, you know, of, of your backyard to, you know, catch you sunbaking or whatever. Agreed. And I think you've hit on the right use of the word when you say example. Mm. The example is what is the important thing here because if a person is placing themselves uh, in the public arena, as many of these people do, uh, to be an example to us, mm. uh, and yet at the same time then to say, look, this part of my life is an example, but not that part of my life, mm. well, then I think that can be questioned. I have a great deal of feeling for actors who go on to portray characters for us, but then somehow we consider them public property. Uh, and so, you know, they're suddenly allowed to have their privacy invaded. Now, and there's a classic case where they haven't put themselves up as an example. They're just doing a job that has to do with being in the public eye. And there are plenty of people in the public eye. Let's take, for example, gee, you don't have to go far. You could, you could say your local principal you yeah. know, of your local school. Yeah. That person has a higher standing. They're in the public eye, so to speak. But they're not putting themselves in the public eye for the sake of being an example. Now, when we talk about politicians, though, because they're, uh, or, or for that matter, other sort of figures who actually place themselves as uh, models for the rest of us, that's a different question. Politicians, their entire basis for being elected is that we can trust them morally to represent us. Mm. Uh, and now that's a different question whatsoever. To say one part of my life bears moral examination, but you have no right to look at the other moral factors of my life, mm -hmm. um, to me is a bit of a, uh, a bit of an ask. So how are you using the word moral here, Mark Hadley? Because, <laughs> quite, because quite often people use the word moral merely to talk about, you know, relationship related or, or, or sexually related behavior. Um, what, what do you mean by morally? No, I think that's a really good question, okay, because I feel like I don't want us to talk about morality as if somehow it was just do you drink too much or has it got to do with your sexuality or the way you express yourself in public and things like that. No, um, I think that when I use the word moral, and particularly this article, you know, people can judge me and read it and have a look, mm. I'm trying to talk about the guiding focus of our life. Mm. Okay, so for example, um, it's easy to talk about it for a Christian or for that matter, anybody who's part of an organized religion because they're guiding focus of their life is often written down you know, mm. and so you can measure it against it. Uh, for a Christian it's the life of Christ. That's what we measure our, our morality, our guiding focus against. Yeah. Uh, I expect uh, Buddhists would measure themselves against Siddhartha I expect that uh, Muslims would measure themselves against Muhammad mm. uh, and so there's, that's easy 
But in some respects too, we have, say, politicians who will give themselves a public morality based on the values they stand for. So they say, I'm not going to make any you know, enemies or any friends here, but I'm just, I'll just pick examples out. Mm. Say, for example, the Labor Party says, we are all for social action. Yeah. We're for giving the little person a go. Uh, we're for creating a safety net. That's a concern for people who are lesser than, you know, lesser positioned than ourselves, and we want to take care of them. Yeah. Now, if that's your morality, that's what's your, your guiding light and your, your structure for your life, if you're found to be an abusive person for your staff, you would question that. Mm. There, you, there you are in a power play situation, not demonstrating consistency between your morality, you know, which you preach, if you like. I mean, everybody does when they say, this is what I believe, and how you practice it. Mm. And, and there's nothing like going back to one of my mother's you know, tried and tested sayings, as I'm sure many of your listeners might know, you've got to practice what you preach. Yeah, there is yeah. no distinction between your public declaration and how you live. Okay. So you, uh, you I think, were, were hinting at um, one of our past Prime Ministers, Kevin Rudd there, who was uh, famously... I might have been, but, but I'm, <laughs> like I said, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sway, because we could just, we could pick up a liberal example. It would be terribly hard. Mm. Uh, we could democratic examples and, and for the Greens and the rest. Mm. So there's no yeah. particular political persuasion. Yeah, but... Uh, just but, the fact that there's mm. got to be consistency. Yeah, but I, I totally see what you're saying. I mean, if, if here you have a party, you know, the Labor Party, which is supposed to be you know, based on the idea that, that workers and employees have, should have a fair go. And, th- and then you have a, a Labor Party leader who then treats his own employees or, or workers in, in a terrible way. It's, it's incredible hypocrisy, isn't it? And that's when the private-public argument breaks down. Mm. And I guess the centre of, of my argument, if you like, in the article, is that I'm actually not convinced there is a divide. Mm. I'm not really sure in the end that there, there really is, for anyone, a major distinction between the public and the private. Mm. And the reason why I feel that is because, well, not simply me, but um, other philosophers and, in fact, Jesus himself has pointed mm. to the fact mm. that they're all proceeding from the same heart. Mm. You know, and so as Jesus, Jesus so famously put it, you don't go picking grapes from thorn bushes. Yeah. You don't go picking... Figs, you know, from uh, other thought, you know, other trees that are just not fig trees. Yeah. If the core is not right, then it won't express itself publicly or privately in the same way. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, and you you said um, it's it's not just one side of politics. I mean, in your article, you spent quite a while talking about the situation of, of our former deputy prime minister Barnaby Joyce, who is a you know a, a national politician and uh, a, a part of the you know the governing coalition of course can you take us through some of the um the ups and downs there and i mean i think even since you uh, wrote the article it's there have been more ups and downs oh definitely it, it's got murkier and murkier but if we just maybe if we just go back to the seed of the situation mm-hmm. then we can see that public private playing out again so barnaby joyce's relationship um with his former staffer mm. becomes public knowledge particularly because she has become pregnant and he's going to become a father um and on that basis uh, we see him shamed into a, a position where finally he has to resign the leadership. Mm. Uh, now, the the big argument that exploded across the media was, is this an infringement of his private life? Mm. Uh, and quite 
surely so. Um, he, he wanted to defend that. And in fact, he wanted to say, look, this is what's going on over here is my private life and what happens in the public arena. The two are never quite affected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what linked the two is the practice of deception. So when it became clear how deceived his wife had been in the situation, yeah. I think it was relevant for people to ask, if a man can practice deceit in his private life, what would stop him practicing that deceit in his public life? Then if wow. you remember what actually started to occur, if people started digging into the details of how uh, his former staff had been treated after their relationship had been formed and she'd been appointed to various lucrative positions, which might have been justified, but it was fair in saying at that point, did this deceit flow out? Did mm. she receive things by virtue of relationship and not because of um, who she was professionally? Where I think uh, Barnaby also sort of shot himself in the foot is by, say, by saying, okay, look, I, I, can, I can cop this sweet. I am a public figure. I'll, I'll be happy to take this criticism, but leave, you know, Vicky Campion, you know, his, um, his new partner out of this. And that seemed quite reasonable up until the point that they, they decided to appear on, you know, commercial TV and have a sort of a, a tell-all interview. I mean, at, at that point, weren't they then themselves I- inviting, you know, even more scrutiny and, uh, you know, I- into their private lives? I, I think so. And I think, look, uh, I, I want to be really careful about how I'm talking about sure. Barnaby because I don't want to, anyone to feel like I'm saying, oh, well, here we are, it's shock jock radio time and, mm. and we're just criticising people who are easy targets. You're right, what Barnaby has done is he's crossed his own line back again, if you like, and mm. he's made it a public issue. Mm. And in fact, it was even more murky the moment he started accepting money for the, the story itself. Yeah, yeah. I guess the man, I, I have all the sympathy in the world for Barnaby because I think at that point mm. he was caught in his own story, caught up in his own web. And that's really what happens to all of us. We sit back and we, you know, I, I could sit in my study and write my pontificating articles about no divide between public and private, yeah. but someone might very well look at my life and say, are you consistent, Mark? Is there a consistency between how you live and the sort of things you say? And I would hope I'm striving for that consistency. But the tricky thing is that we're all in that position because it's not as if just politicians live lives with degree of public exposure. I'm mm. a father, so I'm, I'm the public head of my family. I, you know, I'm, I'm helpful at my school and there are things that I do in work that put me in a public position. Uh, am I open to scrutiny? And I would say that um, I would be the first to confess that if somebody took a magnifying glass to my life, I would not like everything exposed there either. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say my defense is you've got no right to look. I think my only defense would have to be, you know, you're right, it's part of the human condition, that we are inconsistent people. We have a problem about being consistent, and it happens to be heart deep. Yeah. So so I guess when we look at other people who are, you know, caught in the the public spotlight and have done, you know, something untoward, I guess our attitude really should be, you know, but for the, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I, you know, it's none of us is perfect. Um, I think the Bible says, you know, none of us is perfect. No, no, not one. 
no, no one, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And mm, look, mm. you know, if you, you don't mind me saying so again, I brought my mother into this once before. I'll, I'll trade out her wisdom once again. Yep. You know, mums have always got those great phrases. And one of them that stuck in my mind was every time I was pointing a finger, I was pointing three back at myself. <laughs> you know, it, it's a good thing to learn because the, the whole point of the Bible is not to clean up public morality. Mm. It's not as if somehow we could drag it off the shelf and start beating politicians around the ears and saying you shouldn't do this or film stars and you shouldn't do this or, or whoever else. What it's actually saying is humanity is going to have this public-private um, problem you know, whether it be in the public sphere or the private sphere, we're going to keep falling over because we actually have a problem with the heart. And so Jesus said, look, you know, the heart is from which all things flow. And if that spring is foul, what comes out of it is going to be foul. And then he lists yeah. off all the sorts of problems human beings could have. Mm. And so if I was going to say anything to anybody who is looking at the you know, signs of the times uh, this month round, I'd say take this as a great opportunity to sharpen yourself and say, am I trying to just preserve the illusion that mm. I'm doing okay, that I'm somehow, well, you, know, uh, you know, compared to Barnaby Joyce or compared to Trump or compared to someone else, I seem to be doing okay. They're easy comparisons to make. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you compare yourself to, to Jesus then that's a different conversation altogether. Oh, yeah, wow. That's something that, that Jesus said has sort of really struck me, and I've, I've wondered at the practical implications of it. He said something along the lines of, the, the things that happen in the dark will be shouted from the rooftops. And, and that, to me, seems to be, in some ways, a, a good thing, because there are so many uh, places in, in the world um, and situations in the world where where really terrible things are, are done to people, um, often in the name of you know greed or profit or, or oppression or war or, or whatever. And it seems to me that w what Jesus is saying there that, hey, look, there is going to come a time when these sorts of situations are going to be opened up to scrutiny and, and, and to judgment um, and justice will finally be done. I, I kind of get the sense that with this whole... Uh, Harvey Weinstein, you know, hashtag Me Too movement stuff that w we see some of this stuff happening right now. We get maybe a, a little foretaste of, of what it means to, you know, open up this sort of this hidden secret that's been causing so much pain and to, you know, finally have an awareness and finally have some justice done. Do you, do you see where I'm coming from there? Definitely. And I think what are the... Um challenging slash encouraging things about that verse is that verse is one that points two ways too. Mm. Because on the one hand, for those who are struggling with a sense of justice, who are wondering when God is going to do something about something, mm. they take comfort in Jesus' promise. Don't worry. You know, anything that is in, in the darkness, it's going to be dragged out into the light. It's going to happen. Mm. Uh, and, and that's something that I think sometimes in our lives we're all going to have to lean back on and go, this is well and truly beyond me, and no one seems to be able to see the truth of what's happened to us or what's happened to my family or what's happened to me. Mm. Uh, and yet God promises that will occur. But then the verse points back the other way, and it says, if you think that you can actually hide these parts of your life behind a distinction like, that's my private life, thank you very much, you've got no <laughs> right there, yeah, or, sure. uh, you're, going, you're fooling yourself mm. that um, God is actually immensely just. In fact, actually, when the Old Testament wants to talk about how just God is, it says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Mm. God is perfect God. And that's the standard we compare ourselves against. So 
for me, the public-private divide is an unhelpful one. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I would say that it, it, when we start talking as human beings about that's my private life and that's my public life, what we're really doing is we're putting up shields. Mm. Uh, mm. As if say, God, you can come this far and no further. Or, you know, I invite judgment this far but no further. And those shields always advantage ourselves. Mm. But mm. if they're not, if they're non-existent, then we're kidding ourselves. If they're made of paper, they'll all be blown away on the last day. Yeah. This is sort of a tangential question, but I think it is related particularly to your situation as a film media, as someone you know who's in the, in the, the public kind of realm and looking at this sort of stuff. When you see someone like you know, Harvey Weinstein, I, I mentioned before, or um, you know, who has been publicly outed for a lot of you know, misdeeds and misbehaviour, um, Woody Allen comes to mind, or, or even Mel Gibson you know, with his anti-Semitic rants and, the, and, and this sort of stuff. Do you then have trouble appreciating their, their artworks? Are you able to mentally separate their artworks from the people that they are? Or is this another situation where that divide is non-existent? That's a really good point. You know, that's a fascinating question. I should write an article about that. <laughs> um, I, think, I think that personally, I don't. I don't have a problem with their artwork mm-hmm. uh, because yeah. I see us as fractured people. Yep. Uh, and so uh, in my life, if you think of us, if you think of all of humanity as a, a mirror of the image of God, you know, if God created humanity, in Genesis it says it created him in his own image. Mm. You know, in, the, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So every man and every woman is reflecting the image of God. The problem in a broken world is it's a broken mirror. So yeah. there are some parts of me that still reflect the image of God on my best days, and there are other parts that, well, they reflect someone else entirely, I suspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that's the problem. So some days I can look at something I have written, and I can think to myself, that's a good article, and I hope it points in the right direction. Or that script I worked on today, I'm really happy with how that turned out, and I, I hope it helps people think a bit differently. And then I can go upstairs and behave abominably to my wife and, and apologize 10 minutes later and think, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And that's because I'm a fractured human being. I know this sounds strange to say this, but I feel no, nothing but sympathy for people like Mel Gibson and, and Barnaby Joyce and others simply because they've been caught up in a situation where their worst sides have been exposed. Mm. And I would hate that to happen to me. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm saying there are bad parts to me and I'd hate them to be blown out of proportion. But I wouldn't want to pretend that no one had any right to believe anything other than good about me. Mm. There are bad things in our lives and we should be honest about it. Mm. Uh, and so I can appreciate their films, I can appreciate their books because I see in them sometimes the best bits of God's character being reflected outwards. But the worst bits, well, they don't just cease to exist just because someone happens to be a good filmmaker or, you know, or a good writer. Mm, yeah. And, and I guess then you, you can take it home, you know, to, to your own family and friends. I mean, you, you may have a friend who has, you know, cheated on their partner and, and, and sep- you know, abandoned their children or, or whatever, um, you know, really messy sort of yucky situations that have left a, a lot of people hurt. You know, how do you deal with that friend from, from that point on? Do you remain their friend or, or do you cut them off socially? I mean, those can be really, you know, hard situations. You know, do you take sides when a, a friends of yours are, are divorcing look um i'll be honest we've been in that situation as a family Mm -hmm. and the only thing i can say is everybody 
in those difficult situations, you don't want to say to a person, you have no right to be angry or mm. you have no right to be sad or you have no right to be traumatized, you know, by what has happened. But there is a greater grace which God urges us to reach for, Mm. and that is his grace, his forgiveness in a situation. It sounds outrageous to say it, Mm. but in the midst of family breakdowns like that, when when the private mess comes right out into the open, into the public, uh, and we're all suddenly aware of what's been going on, the answer is to seek restoration, not to seek blame. Mm. Uh, Mm. It is but uh, but it is an, an axiom. It's a truth that we really need to hold on to because we all need redemption. Yeah. And a friend of mine actually said to me, I've got a friend, I'm sure you have plenty, and others who have this sort of close relationship where you can actually stand alongside someone. You walk alongside them and you do the best you can to support each other. And um, sometimes I say to my friend, gosh, you've been a great support to me this week. I feel like I've just been falling all over my feet. And he says back to me, don't worry, next week it's me. Yeah. You know? And that's the thing I think we have to keep in mind in the face of the worst case of, of, of trouble and strife within family and, and then in public situations too. But for the grace of God, there go I. Mm. Next week it might be me. How would I behave accordingly? Yeah, yeah. You, you talked about, you know, God extending this incredible grace and this incredible forgiveness and the offer of redemption to us. And, and I guess if we count ourselves as, as someone who is trying to, you know, walk in the way of Jesus, um, someone who is trying to reflect more accurately that image of God that is within us, then I guess the call on us is to walk alongside people who are broken and struggling, even people who have made mistakes that we might, you know, disagree very deeply with. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't still, you know, not be there to, to support them, to be with them, to, you know, walk with them through through that tough time. Absolutely. I've got time for one more. My mother's great sayings. I mean, it has to be that, you know, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. <laughs> the Bible points out that we're faulted people mm. and that we all need redemption. And that by virtue of that, having found it, we're able to offer it to other people. Sitting in judgment is not a very Christ-like approach to people's problems. Mm. As I remember, Jesus spent more time down uh, on his knees and with other people trying to bring them up. It was only those people who actually stood back, the Pharisees, so to speak, who were casting judgment, Mm. uh, that he actually had his most critical words for. Um, I, I think I would rather be making mistakes in offering maybe too much mercy mm-hmm. than it would be in passing too much judgment. Yeah. And, and I understand that Jesus actually used a, a particular Greek word in, in a new way that it hadn't been used before. The The word was, was hypocrite, um, or that's the English mm. version of it, which means under a mask. So he, he said, you, you, you religious leaders, you're, you're like actors with a, with a mask on. You know, you're, you're two-faced, basically, is what he was saying. On, on the outside, you're, um, you know, all wonderful and holy and, and pious. But um, inside, he said, you know, you, you're, like, you're like a grave that's, you know, whitewashed on the outside, nice and shiny and pretty on the inside. It's full of dead men's bones. So yeah, he, he, he didn't hold back when, when he had some criticisms to make. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, if you like, that's Jesus 
confronting the public-private divide all mm. over again. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've noticed as I've got older, that um, when I was younger, I, I, I hung around with lots of different groups. And you might, you know, some of your listeners might remember this. Mm. You, you're kind of one way with one group, and then with a, maybe you're with a rowdier group of people, you're another way. Yeah. And then with different people, you're, you can tend to behave differently, almost to the point of being a, a different person, you know, mm. in different circumstances. And as I've got older, I've realized that what you really want to do, you know, under God and with his strength, is to unite yourself, to be as you are in one group to another group as well. You mm-hmm. want to be the same person all the way through. Jesus is saying, drop the mask. You know, mm-hmm. the, the hypocrisy of hiding behind the mask, I'm like this, I'm like that, when you're not really. Uh, admit who you are. Be who you are and bring that to God and let him change the bits that need changing. I suspect we've had it up to here, you know, up to the, up to the eyeballs in Australian, uh, in fact, for that matter, in international politics, yep. with politicians who are holding masks up and saying, this is what I believe. It would be much better. We, I think the, the biggest fall for grace for Barnaby Joyce was not that he'd proven to be faulted, was that uh, everybody believed him to be a fresh wind through politics, yeah. uh, an authentic person who was there for the battler and so forth. So the, the distance between the way he had behaved privately and the way he was speaking publicly was what caught us all off guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly sobering, uh, sobering thoughts there. And I guess it, it really, I guess what we're saying today is that really should cause us to reflect on ourselves rather than point the, the fingers at others. Thanks so much, uh, Mark Hadley, for being with us this week on Signs of the Times Radio. Ken, it's always fun. Thanks very much. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Signs of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media.